Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. It's an awesome video. It's a cool video because uh, some of y'all probably seen it. It's about six years old. It's from... Um, 2013 Christmas at Southland Christian Church, and I was actually going to church there, and that's where God really started working on my heart. So um, a lot of things we see in the Christmas story, if you look at the back of your worship guide, it says interruption authority, right? And a lot of things we see in the Christmas story, it's a lot of interruptions, God interrupting a lot of people's lives from the shepherds, wise men, King Herod, Mary, Joseph, there's a lot of interruption there. So that's what we're going to look at today. Before we get started, I just want to go into prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to be in a place where we can come in your house, um, where we can just learn more about you, God, uh, where we can worship you. We thank you so much for what you've already done here today, God. I pray, Lord God, right now that your word would just speak truth uh, to the people that are here. And Lord God, I pray, Lord, um, that you would just convict our hearts to a place where we leave here and where we continue to follow you in greater and greater obedience, Lord. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for this season. We love you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So when Joel asked me to speak, it was on a Monday night, and um, he's, you know, he's kind of in between that good to great and the John, and he said, you want to take a Sunday? And my initial thought is no, because I'm really nervous about doing that. And uh, I was here on a Monday night. We had just been at 11B, and then we um, come here for the college group, and, and uh, we're in the office in there eating the food. And uh, he asked me, and, and I'm pretty nervous about it. I've, I've spoke here before. If y'all were here last summer, in 2018, Kelsey and I um, were missionaries, and we came back in the summer, and we were able to talk about the experiences that we had had for the first half year of our trip. But uh, when I spoke then, I had Kelsey next to me, and you guys know how much she talks, so it was easier for me to just lean on her, right, and let, let her say everything. But, but uh, no, I was really nervous about it. And then... Um, I looked on Facebook, because Facebook is, is where I should get my sermon topic from, right? <laughs> but uh, a year ago, I was reading a book, Live Life on, um, on Purpose by Claude Hickman. I was reading this book in Kenya, and um, there was a quote in the book that I had just put on, on Facebook in November last year. And th- that quote was, the gospel has the authority to interrupt your life. And uh, I thought, man, I could, I could get some stuff from that book. I could come up with a good sermon topic on that. And so I called Joel back within like 30 minutes, an hour, and said, hey, I, I know something I can talk about. So yeah, uh, I'm good. I'll go. I, I told you guys this, this story last year, if you were here, about kind of what it looks like speaking in India. And um, you go to these different churches that don't look like churches. People find anywhere they can to worship. Um, you, you see really what it looks like a lot in the book of Acts in India. So uh, Kelsey and I go to this church one Sunday and um, I had told the pastor I was coming, and because we didn't know where we were going, because the directions in India on the phone don't work out that great, we, we show up, 
and we're at the wrong place, then we come around, walk around a circle, ask someone directions, they point, ask someone else directions, they point. We finally find it. Luckily, they sing like 10, 12 songs in worship there. So when we finally get into the church, we go to like the sixth row, sit down. There are probably like 10 rows. We found some empty seats. As soon as they see us, they're waving us. No, here, 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 come, come here, come here. And we're like, it's good. We're fine. We're fine. Um, I mean, for all that they know, I'm, I'm David Platt there to speak to them. So, so they want me to come forward. You know, they're just happy to have guests, happy to have some Americans there that come to their church. So um, they come and they grab our arms during the music and walk us forward to the front, to two seats in the front that they have for us. The music's about over and the pastor comes over to me and he says, um, you speak, you speak. And I'm like, two minutes. And he says, uh, 35, 40 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll do it. Luckily, I knew because they had told me when I went there that if you go somewhere, they're, they're probably going to ask you to speak. And I had, I had talked somewhere else a few nights before, and so I had that in my head. I had in my head what I could say. They said have like a two-minute thing to say, five minutes, and then like a whole sermon. So I was prepared. But, but what gets funnier is he calls a guy forward to translate because the preacher did not speak great English. So he calls the guy forward to translate, and this guy has never translated in his life. So he knows a little bit of English. The pastor knows a little bit of English. I'm up there talking, and they're arguing over what I'm saying, translate what, what, how it should be translated. So hopefully we don't need that kind of translation today. Um, but we're going to look at, at the gospel having authority to interrupt our lives. Interruption, authority. And... Um, there's not, there's not really a person that we see in Scripture that we see that kind of immediate impact of the gospel changing their lives as much as Saul of Tarsus who became Paul. So I just want to start right there. I want to start in Acts 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. So we see Saul's life right here change immediately. We, we look at Saul's life before and the way that people viewed him, and he was a very well-respected person. Um, he was a Pharisee who was circumcised on the eighth day. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, um, a, a Hebrew man that people looked up to. He followed the law as good as anyone could possibly follow the law. And he was the kind of guy that people want to be friends with, that they wanted on their side. We see that at the stoning of Stephen. After, what did his life look like? Is it something that's desirable? Um, we see Ananias, he's scared to go talk to him. And Jesus even says to him in verse 16 of that chapter, he says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. That doesn't sound too great, right? So afterwards, who was, who was Paul, this changed man? He was a man without a home in the world. He was making tents. Um, he was a prisoner, faced countless beatings. Five times he had 40 lashes, less one. 
Um, three times he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was snake bitten, he was shipwrecked three times. He faced danger from his own people who wanted him dead. He faced danger from the Gentiles who now want him dead. Um, he had many sleepless nights without food out in the cold. He spent a night adrift at sea. And what did he say about all of it, about his new life? In Philippians 3, verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So he said, it's trash. My life before, the life that people in the world looked at and said, man, that, that looks good. It's garbage compared to knowing Jesus. So would, would Saul... The religious man be the kind of guy we look at and say, man, that guy's got it going on. Or would Paul, the new guy, would he be a guy we look at and look like, man, that's something that, that I desire? Or would we look at him and say, that guy's kind of crazy. What about Jesus? Jesus was someone who walked the earth, lived a perfect life, did a lot of miracles, did a lot of cool things. People looked at and, and they wanted to see miracles. They, they liked that. They want to see stuff he's doing. But then when he started teaching, sometimes it was hard for people. It was really hard for people. People said, this is hard teaching. I can't listen to that. I'm going to walk away from that. I can't do what he's saying. Because he's saying to deny yourself totally, to pick up your cross, to follow him, to follow him even to death on a cross. And it's uncomfortable because it calls for us to stop being God of our own hearts, for us to, to stop sitting on the throne of our own hearts and allow someone else to take up residence there fully and totally. So a lot of things interrupt our lives. A lot of things have some authority in our lives. Um, I joked this morning, and will again, that if you know me, you know that I'm a huge Ohio State fan. Don't leave. Um, my dad, he played basketball there. And so I've, I've always, just since I was a little kid, I watched the games. So the time difference in the Philippines and Kenya is like 12 hours, 8 hours or 9 hours in Kenya, depending on the, the time of year. But it could be midnight. It could be 2.30 in the morning, 3.30, 4 a.m., and I have an alarm set to get up and watch every single football game. It didn't matter who they were playing last year. I woke up, and that was my time in the middle of the night to watch it. We were in the Philippines. It was probably 3, 4 a.m., and I'm watching on my phone, and I wasn't being very respectful to my wife because I didn't have any headphones or anything in. I just got up and started watching, and she's like this, you know, sleep kind of hearing reaches in her backpack. Well, there that goes. Good? Yeah. All right. So um, she throws some earphones at me, and um, I, I continue to watch the game. So we joke about that. Sports, it, it interrupts our life. I, I live here in Knoxville. I see Tennessee fans. It interrupts their life. Um, and we can joke about that, but there's other things that are really serious things that we also give um, authority to in our lives. I mean, for family, friends, work, finances, trips that we're going to take. So today I'm going to give eight things, eight things that we don't want to let go of a lot of times, but that the gospel has authority in our lives to interrupt. So if you look on the back of your worship guide, you'll see eight things. And I'm sorry for the lack of alliteration that's there. I started each one with our. I know that might be confusing that all of them aren't perfect because Joel does such a good job of, of putting the alliteration 
in those words. I, I can be doing a message for youth, and I have no idea what the points are going to be. And he walks through, and I, I say, hey, will you take a look at this? Oh, yeah, what are you reading? Um, Acts chapter 5. He reads it. He says, oh, man, well, I see five R's in there. Boom, 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 boom. I'm like, where did you get that? And then I'll take it and use it because it's good stuff. But uh, he has that gift that I don't. Um, okay, so number one, and if this doesn't happen in our lives, then the rest of it doesn't really matter. Number one is the gospel has the authority to interrupt our hearts. And, and you, I'm sure you've heard a, a pastor say this before, but not a bad person made good, but a dead person who has been made alive, been made alive in Christ. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And then Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. So the scripture that I opened with, Saul of Tarsus, you might say, Clark, you even said that most people's lives, the transformation, it just doesn't quite look like that. We, we see in the Old Testament, you know, Moses who encounters God the burning bush. We see Noah, who his life is interrupted. He's told to build an ark. He's never seen any rain. He's not around any water, and he's told to build this ark. In, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we see uh, the Philippian jailer, the Ethiopian eunuch, just one after another, whose life is totally transformed because of the gospel. And the truth is that we're going from a place where we totally desire the things of our own, own heart, and we're allowing God to take up residence in our heart so that we start desiring what he wants, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that those who are in Christ are new creations. The old man is dead and the new man is here. But, but the problem is we still try to cling to the old man a lot of times. Um, doing youth, it, it might be kind of hard to see for a young kid that gets saved, that Saul to, to Paul transformation. But what's happening in that person's heart who gives their life to Christ, is still the same thing. It's a person that had to be brought near to God by the blood of Jesus, a person that's no longer a foreigner, an alien, and someone that's now a child. That's a child of God because of what Jesus did. They have to recognize they're a sinner, that they're in need of a Savior, and repent of their sins, and receive that grace that's been offered to them. So number one, the gospel has the authority to interrupt our hearts. If it interrupts your heart, then it has to interrupt your beliefs. The gospel has the authority to interrupt our beliefs. I think it's funny that people try to separate their beliefs from their job, their beliefs from other friends, just things that they do. You know, they say, like, I, I just don't let, you know, what I believe affect my work. I'm not really sure how that can possibly work because if you believe something and your heart's been changed with eternal things, how does it not affect the temporary? How can you let the temporary take precedence over the eternal in your life. Um, so I'm going to read you some things that we believe. And this is stuff the church believes. We believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. We believe that Jesus has authority in our lives because he's told us that he's Lord. He told us that all authority has been given to him. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, he says that. We believe that the Bible is the word of God, that we must live by what it says. We believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God in the flesh who came and dwelt among us. And we believe he lived the perfect life. He died a sacrificial death for the sins of the world. He rose again on the third day. He appeared to his followers and 500 others. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he's coming back for his children. Those are things that this church believes. So if we believe those things, if our hearts have been changed, then these other six things 
should start to change too. What happens sometimes is we don't see this affecting our life because we're, we're trying to hang on to that sinful flesh. But saving faith always leads to sanctification. I can't see somewhere in Scripture where it does not. What happens a lot of times is um, maybe we've, we've said a prayer or something. We believe something in our head, but, but it's, it's not led us to a place of obedience and really following. It's like how we believe that, that Steve Jobs helped create the iPhone. And, and we believe that's true. We know who he was. We know he was a real person that lived. We, we know he, he got sick and, and passed away. We, we know that those things happened. We know who he was. We know he's a real person. But you never knew him. You never had a relationship with him. You never walked with him. You certainly were never his child. But what happened is he created something. You've got that something in your hand, and it's changed your life a little bit. You know, maybe changed your life more than, uh, more than a relationship with Christ has because you've got that thing in your hand all the time, right? I had a conversation with a guy named Antonio um, downtown on Monday night when we serve at 11B, and um, I was talking to Antonio, and um, these are some questions that you can ask people if you're like, I'm not sure how to share the gospel. It's awkward. I'm not sure how to get in these conversations. Um, So I was talking to him, and my question was just, do you have a Bible? So he could just ask, say no and and continue on, go on with his his day, know that he doesn't have a Bible. If he did, I probably would have asked him why not and try to get some feedback from that. But his answer, it's like, a target, boom, led me right into a full-blown gospel conversation with him. So he says, um, I used to have a Bible and a Quran, and someone stole them from me. I don't have my Bible or my Quran anymore. So that leads me to the next question that says, oh, wow, what do you believe about God? He had a Bible and a Quran. I know he believes something about God, but I'm not sure if what he believes is truth. So he said he believes that there's a God. He believes there's a God that created him. And past that, he doesn't really know. He prays to a God. He doesn't really know. So he had to go back to Carm. I kind of walked along with him. I, I, I shared the gospel with him. And um, when I got to the end, I shared with him um, about Jesus, his, his, his death, his burial and resurrection, how he predicted this, how he said it would happen, and it happened. And I, I said to him, if you believe that, if you believe what's in the word is true, then that has to change everything else. How can you believe that, that he said that, and continue to go on and kind of dabble in other things because what you're saying is that he's a liar. So what we do a lot of the time is we say, yeah, yeah, I believe that, and I'll let God change my life. I'll let him come in and take up residence in my life, but I'm going to put some parameters around it. I'm going to put God in this box with my plans, and please just, just don't step outside of this. What's that look like? It might look like I can't move from Tennessee my friends and my family live here. This is where I want to make my life. This is where my family's at. I'm just not going to move from here. I'm going to stay right here. I can't give up my Wednesday nights. I work really hard through the week. I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm just not going to, you know, I want to go and be a part of that group, but this is more important. Maybe, maybe you're supposed to join a small group. Maybe you're supposed to serve in a certain area, but you've put God in a box, and you're not going to do anything outside of that. This is a compromise commitment. And the gospel always has the authority to interrupt our whole lives. Not, not compromise, not on our terms, but on God's terms. If he's Lord, if he has our hearts and beliefs, then it should be interrupting these things as well. So that leads me to number three, these next six things. The gospel has the authority to interrupt our time. 
to interrupt our time. James 4, 13, 14 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little, for a little time and then vanishes. And I loved my time. I still do love my time. But, I mean, I used to really, really love my time. Um, I started dating Kelsey in 2010, and I'd come down and hang out with family and stuff. And it'd be, like, Sunday night. And I know they got stuff going on on Monday morning. And it's like they're out with church friends and stuff till like, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I needed to. I had to be, like, comfortable watching about two hours minimum of some kind of sports or something before I went to bed. And I'm like, what are we doing out this late when it's a Sunday night and we got stuff to do tomorrow? I did not want to let go of that time. Um, I, I came down one time, and I'm telling on myself saying this, but Joel was preaching on a Wednesday night at Second Baptist in Clinton. And Kelsey's like, we're going to go listen to my dad talk. And I did not want anything to do with that. I was like, it was summertime. I came down to hang out and to go to the lake. And there was an NBA playoff game on. I was like, I've, I had my plans. This is what I'm going to do. And so we got in a little bit of an argument over that. And uh, I know it's amazing that we're together today <laughs> with, me, with me being that kind of guy, right? But um, I did not want to give up that time. Maybe you're supposed to serve. Maybe you're supposed to come help us serve on Monday night at 11B. But Monday's a tough day. And I don't really want to do anything on Monday night because... By the end of Monday, I'm tired, and I don't want anything to do with anyone or anything. Maybe you're supposed to come early to the first service and, and serve back there with the children. Maybe there's something that you're supposed to do, but you don't want to let go of your time. But the gospel has the authority to interrupt your time. Number four, the gospel has the authority to interrupt our money and our possessions. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Matthew, 20, or Matthew 16, 26 says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I'm not going to talk too much on money because Joel did for two weeks. And I'll let you guys just be mad at him when he keeps talking about it. I won't talk too much about it. I'm just going to give a couple stories. The first one. You guys have heard Joel say this if you've been coming here, and that's about Peyton Warwick for his birthday. He did not want anything. He asked that people donate towards 11B ministry. That's one story. Another one real quick. Um, my Spanish exchange student, Manuel. He's going to be really embarrassed because I'm talking about him. Um, when he first got here, he, uh, if I asked him to pray at dinner and stuff, he was nervous. He did not want to pray out loud. Um, he, he came and he was engaged in everything that was going on. Now I could ask him at youth on Wednesday. I could ask him in Sunday school, whatever, to pray. And he'll pray in front of everybody. He has no problem doing that. One of the things he wanted when he came here was the new iPhone 11. And he kept saying, on Black Friday, I'm going to get that phone. On Black Friday, I'm going to get that phone. And um, so he had talked to Kelsey about going shopping on Black Friday for it. And uh, it was a few weeks before, and he said, um, I don't need the iPhone 11 anymore. I'm like, what? I thought you wanted it. No, I don't need it anymore. And he had wanted this because he, he wanted to 
receive the group messages in the group. And you got to have an iPhone 11 to receive group messages in a group, right? Because he wasn't getting them right, and so he couldn't send them back right. So I'm like, I thought you really needed that. And uh, he says, no, I can do stuff better with the money. I'm like, okay, what are you going to do with the money? And so he says, well, they talk about those shoeboxes at church. I can donate some money to send some of those shoeboxes. I'm like, okay, cool. Those are like $10 a piece, right? So he could do 10 of them, 100 bucks. He's still like 10% of what an iPhone 11 costs, right? So he's got a lot of money left over. I said, okay, what else are you going to do with it? And he said, well, I can spend it to go on that trip to Honduras. Kelsey and I will be taking a, a team on a mission trip on May 28th to June 4th. We hope we got an awesome team going. Be thinking about that. Be praying about that because we, we need 20 people to sign up. So be thinking about it. Um, and we're doing that next year. And what is so cool about that, him wanting to go on that trip, is that he came here at the end of August. He's 15 years old, away from his family, from the end of August until the end of May when he's supposed to go back on May 30th. That trip is May 28th to June 4th. Instead of wanting to go back and go ahead and start his summer with his family and friends there, he wants to go to Honduras and go home a little bit later and stay gone a little bit longer. And I think that's really cool that he is placing his treasure not here on earth. Number five, the gospel has the authority to interrupt our future plans. I think these are some of the toughest verses in scripture that I'm going to read right here. Luke 9, 57 through 62. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. At first, we hate interruption authority in our lives because it's calling us to stuff that we don't want to do, stuff that makes us uncomfortable, right? But once we start to live it, man, you start to feel freedom in it. You start to feel freedom that I don't have to live the way that the rest of the world lives, the way that I've been told to live. I have freedom to follow Christ wherever he leads me. But, but we're a culture that plans, right? Raise your hand if you know what you're doing on Christmas Eve. All right, raise your hand if you know what you're doing on New Year's. Raise your hand if you have a vacation plan for next year. All right, so we, we've got plans, and it's all right to have plans. I'm not saying that you need to wake up every single morning and sit at the foot of your bed and just kind of wait, okay, show me something to do today. It's okay to have plans. What the problem is, is a lot of the time we've got our plans, and we want nothing to do with what God says our new plan should be if we already have our plan. My plan when I was young was I'm going to play college basketball, but I had no plan past that. So when I was a freshman in college, it was like I had zero direction. I made it playing college basketball, had no idea what I wanted to do afterward. So I went to get my master's at the University of Kentucky, and my friend and my roommate there, he was doing uh, medical stuff, and we talk about money so much, and I, he knew how much money he was going to make, and uh, I did the same thing a lot of people do when they're in college. I look at like, okay, first year salary from this program. Okay, what's the average here? What jobs can I get that pay the most? That's all I'm looking at. And me and him are arguing about stuff like that all the time. So then I, I graduate and, and I come down and I start working 
here in Knoxville. And um, I had always kind of had just this uh, curiosity, maybe a heart for current events, stuff that was going on around the world. I cared about it. I cared about it a little bit, minimal. And uh, God had been working on my heart for about a year and a half. And we had a prayer night at Second Baptist Church. It was a, it was a college group, and uh, the college group that Jeremy was leading in. It was 2014. We were still at Second Baptist. And so um, there were sheets of paper, just like these, just like these, like that, that had stuff written on them. And one of the sheets of paper that was sitting down in the front, and we just go around, we get on our knees, we stand around and pray, pray over them. One of the sheets of paper said, people around the world with no access to the gospel. And so I go forward to that sheet of paper. There were other sheets of paper. I think they're like six or seven in the church. I went and prayed for all of them. All of them were fine. I prayed. I was good. I got up and went to the next one. I got to that one. I was sobbing. And still to this day, I mean, that was a moment that the Holy Spirit just totally was punching on my heart. And I don't think that I've, I've felt that way really since to, to that extreme. But... I thought, man, we're supposed to go. Me and Kelsey were engaged at that time. We're supposed to go overseas. And so we got married in 2015. We started praying about it, that, that we're going to go overseas. And so we had a plan. Our plan was, I'm going to go overseas. We're going to go overseas in 2018. That's our plan. We're going to go here this many months, here this many months. We're going to come back for a few weeks, here this many months, here this many months. And then after that, I'll come back, and I'll take my job back at the bank, and I'll start doing what we're doing right now, and we'll just go back to everything normal. So we come back here. We go to the Philippines um, in July, and I started feeling in the Philippines, maybe you're not supposed to go back and do what you were doing. Maybe you're supposed to be long term. Maybe you're not supposed to live in the States anymore. And I mean, it was eating at me. It was eating at me. I'm telling Kelsey, it's eating at her because she doesn't want that. But it's like, we feel like we're supposed to do that. And then we get back. There's an opportunity with the Elgin Foundation. There's an opportunity here at the church. And I just know I'm supposed to do something in ministry. I'm not sure what it is. I'm supposed to do something in ministry. And so when they ordained me uh, a few weeks ago, they had asked me before, um, they asked me, what, what are your uh, plans for the youth? And so I said, uh, well, this is what it looks like. I think that, you know, we could get to this many kids. I think when we have the new building, we could do this, this, and this. And then I said, but I can't tell you for sure. I can't tell you I'm going to be here for that for sure. I'm not sure where God's going to call us. All I know is I have to be obedient, and I have to go where he calls us to. So, so, so what kind of plans do you have? What kind of plans do you have? In, in the book Live Life on Purpose, the book that I mentioned at the beginning, there's a quote from Claude Hickman. It says, as we look around, the lifestyle and pursuits of the average Christian can look extraordinarily similar to the lifestyle and pursuits of the average non-Christian. Comparing yourself with others does not lead to the direction of God. Comparing your life to the heart of God and his purpose and his word is the only way to get the right direction. So do your plans look like the plans of the non-Christians around you? Not just that you have some religion in your life. Well, the non-Christian around me obviously is not going to church ever. The non-Christian around you obviously is not, is probably not picking up the word ever, right? 
but, but just what about your, your regular day? I'm not saying you shouldn't be going to a job like they're doing and stuff, but, but what do your plans look like compared to the non-Christian that's around you? Number six, the gospel has the authority to interrupt our occupation. In Matthew 4.19, in Matthew 4.19, uh, Jesus says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So there were fishermen that he was calling to make fishers of men. In Luke 5, we see the first miracle that he does in Luke is he says, put your nets out into the deep and you'll get a catch after they hadn't had a catch all night. And it works. And then in John 20 and 21, after he's risen again, we see him repeat this miracle. And what's ironic about this is Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And they've seen Jesus. They've seen him raised. And he says, I'm going to go fishing. And this is symbolic because he's not just saying, I'm going to go do an activity today. He's saying, I'm going back to what I was doing before. I'm going back to what I was doing before I met this Jesus guy. And so the same miracle happens again. You know the story, and Jesus is on the shore, and he tells him to come in. And um, he's got a fire. He's got some fish fixed for him. And, and he starts talking to him. And uh, he asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter, every time, says that, yeah, yeah, I love you. And he says, well, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Then Jesus goes on, and he, he tells Peter, that he's going to be killed for him. He, he tells him how he's going to die. And, and Peter, not thinking about following Christ at that time, his response is, what about John? What about John? Is John, is this going to happen to him too, right? He, he's going to get martyred too. How similar is that to our lives? God calls us to follow. He calls you to a new level of obedience, but no one around you is doing that. And you're saying, well, what about them? They make this much money. They get to live that kind of life. They get that kind of house. Why do I have to do that? And Jesus is saying, what's that matter to you? Come and follow me. You might have a career that God simply calls you to to make less money. He might call you somewhere else. He might call you to make more money. I don't know, to reach more people for him. And that's because your first occupation is a disciple if you are a follower of Christ. Your first occupation is to follow. Number seven. The gospel has the authority to interrupt our families. 1 Corinthians 7.29, Paul says that the people that are married should live like they're not married. So what's that mean? It means that we have a kingdom-first mindset. Even if we're married, even if we have children. I can tell you from experience, when Kelsey and I are serving together, when we're doing stuff together, when we were gone last year, man, we, we hardly ever fought about anything we thought stuff was so silly that we had fought over before because rather than me focused on what her needs were and her focus on my needs were and me saying you're not meeting my needs and her saying you're not meeting my needs, we're focused on something that's way, way bigger than ourselves. And I can tell you not even from just a marriage perspective but from a personal perspective, how much happier are you when you're focused on the needs of others than focused internally on what people are not doing for me? I mean, that's what leads to, that leads to depression. That leads to, what about me? What about me? What about me? But when we focus on serving others, we're focused on kingdom stuff first. So, what about kids? So, I'll go ahead and say what you guys are thinking. Clark, you don't have kids. You don't know. You don't know what it's like to have kids. Just wait until you have kids. You're right. I know that. You're right. I don't have kids. 
um, we have one nephew who's up here dancing crazy, and we have <laughs> two nieces. And uh, if, if they just come over for a little bit, I have so much fun with them for like 30 minutes, and then it's like, man, when are they leaving? <laughs> like 30 minutes in. Like 30 minutes in, and I'm not even the one that's changing their diapers. Like, Kelsey's doing that. I've never done that in my life, so I don't know. I really don't. And Kelsey's the one that's, you know, that's doing the hard work. So Juliana was over at our house um, a few weeks ago, and um, Kelsey was cooking. She's in there messing with the oven, so I'm supposed to hold Juliana. But although most of the kids really like me a lot, she likes Kelsey a whole lot more than me. So she doesn't want me. She wants Kelsey. And I'm, like, not even where she can see Kelsey, but she can hear her back there. And I'm, like, throwing her up in the air, bouncing her on my knee and stuff. And she's good. But if I stop for a second, she's wiggling down, trying to get out and trying to get to Kelsey. She kept doing that over and over. And I said, God, kids are hard. I mean, literally, like, ten minutes. And Kelsey's laughing at me because I can't even keep her for that long. So, hey, I'm with you. You guys are right. Um, I, I can't tell you what it's like to personally have a kid, but I can tell you what Scripture says. Luke 14, 26 through 27. This is a hard verse. These are a hard couple of verses. It says, if anyone comes to me, he does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what does that mean? Is Jesus telling us to hate someone? No, because that would contradict his character. But if you look at the context of that scripture, he is teaching us the cost of discipleship, what it looks like to be a disciple, what it looks like to follow him. If Jesus has supremacy over our hearts, then he should over our families as well. Right? I remember when we would come back from the mission field when we went out before we left, I got these questions saying, um, oh, you guys have kids? No. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool that you get to do that before you have kids, you know. Because when you you have kids, you can't do stuff like that. And then I get to India, and I see families with four kids homeschooling them, and they're there totally sold out for reaching people from the gospel. And I'm like, man, that's what the cost of discipleship looks like. They have kids, and they're still sold out. I'm not saying every single person in here with a family needs to move to a foreign country, but the, the, your kids should see some faith in your life. They should see something that looks different from the world around them. We can't raise our kids exactly like the world and expect them to remain in the faith when, when they get older. You just can't. And instead, we, we miss church for everything. They never see any real faith in our life. This is what that looks like. 66% of kids who attend a Protestant church for at least a year before college quit going when they get to college. At age 17, 69% are attending church. At age 18, that goes to 58%. At age 19, 40%. In the 20s, 33% are still attending church. Joel gave me this verse, 2 Timothy 3.5. It says, they see a form of godliness, but they deny the power therein. So what are your kids seeing? Are they seeing you sold out for Christ? Or are they seeing this Christianized American dream? Or you've just put it all together, and they've never seen you really submit to the plans of the Lord. They've never seen real faith in your life. Number eight, and the last point, the gospel has the authority to interrupt our, perfect, our purpose for living. And we see that in the Great Commission, the ultimate plan that God had for us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a picture of baptism, right? Baptism is symbolic, but when it happens, we are being ducked under the water and saying, it's it's not me who lives anymore. I am dying to myself. I am putting it in the grave. And then when we're raised up, we're raised, in, we're raised new to live this new life with Jesus. That's what we're saying when, when we get baptized. Matthew 10, 39, it says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, so what's that look like practically? I could have picked so many examples, but I had pictures for this one. So I picked this one. There's a girl named... Um, Sit, I mess it up all the time. Sandy. It's not Cindy, how you would spell Cindy. It's not Sandy, how you would spell Sandy. It's C E N D Y. But Sandy. And this is her on the main left praying with Kelsey. And Kelsey shared the gospel with her. She's done Bible studies and stuff with her. And Kelsey said it took her a while to get it. She came and started hanging out with us in September of 2018. After we left, uh, she was saved. She got baptized. We rejoiced from a way that that, that happened with her. And then this is a picture from one year later, one year later, this girl just came there to hang out with her friends, September 2019. And I'm, I'm giving you one example, but I, I could go through kid after kid that I've seen this happen in their lives. September 2019, she's got the red lanyard, and she's leading Bible study. She's sharing the gospel. She's discipling people. And I look around our church sometimes, around the church in general here, and we've got people that are sitting in the same place doing the exact same thing that they did a decade ago, two decades ago, 30 years ago. Why is there no discipleship? Why is there no growth? I'm going to give you guys a hard quote, okay? This is Floyd McClung. He's a pastor out of Kansas City. It says, if you live... Without a vision of the glory of God filling the whole earth, you're in danger of serving your own dreams of greatness as you wait to do the next thing that God tells you. There are too many overfed, undermotivated Christians hiding behind the excuse that God has not spoken to them. They're waiting to hear voices or see dreams, all the while living to make money, provide for their future, live well, and have fun. It's a hard quote. So what's that look like? We did a Bible study there. A lot of you probably know it. It's Henry Blackaby experiencing God. It's from the early 90s. Um, We did this Bible study in the Philippines, and then we did it with our small group here in January. So if I had to just narrow that down to what is he talking about, that Bible study, what's the book about? It's, It's one thing right here. We see where God's working. We see where he's doing stuff, and we get involved. You see God doing something. You get involved. You don't say, okay, well, you know, that's, that's not the place where I want to be. That's not the position. That's not really where I'm gifted. That's not the time. And start putting these parameters around it. You say, yeah, God's working here. I want to get involved here. So right here, right where you're at practically, in our church, there's a lot of stuff going on. And if you're not involved in anything, you can get involved. And if you don't see God doing anything around you, then your eyes are closed because God is at all, he's always at work around you. It doesn't matter if it's here. It doesn't matter if it's the other side of the world. God is always at work around you. Find ways to get involved and to join in with God's work. If the gospel hasn't first interrupted your heart, then all the things that followed are totally irrelevant. 
have to come to a place where we realize that I'm a sinner, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I'm in desperate need of a Savior, and I want him to come into my life, and I don't want my life to be my own anymore, but I want to live by what you say, and I want to follow you, and I want to be obedient to you. You can't just hear the gospel. You can't just hear it and say, yeah, I believe that. I believe that there was a guy that walked around in the Middle East a couple thousand years ago, and he said he was the son of God, and he said he was going to die, and he said he was going to rise again, and then it all happened. I believe that, and I'm going to go to heaven and continue on. Continue on your day. Continue on your years exactly how you want to. How does that not totally transform the way that we live right now? So I'm going to close. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. Band coming forward. I don't know. Maybe. I thought they were going to come forward a while ago. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I'm going to pray. And um, if, if that's you today, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer of repentance. And um, I'm going to be up here. Joel's going to be up here. If that's you, if you feel like that the Holy Spirit's just tugging on your heart, please come forward and talk to us. So join in prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, Lord the opportunity again, Lord, just to come here to speak your word. I pray, Lord, for each person that's here today, Lord. I pray, Lord, um, like I said at the beginning, that you would just tug on their hearts, that you take them to a place of obedience, Lord, that they haven't been before. And Lord God, if someone is here and they don't know you, if someone is here and they've never experienced the beauty of who you are, Jesus, I pray that today would be that day of salvation. And if that's you, you can pray something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm totally separated from you, Lord. And Lord God, I know that I'm in need of a Savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. I believe that you came, that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose again. And Lord God, I don't want to just believe that in my head, but I want to follow it with all my heart. So God, today I ask that you would rescue me, that you would save me from my sins. I repent, Lord. I change my mind about what I've believed, and I want to follow you. Lord God, I pray that you would just give me your Holy Spirit, that you would save me today. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.